This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From beside our new backyard monolith, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Kyle. And I am the monolith. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) And today on the podcast, our interview with Rotator Captain Victor Soto. Lindsay will join us a little later in the hour with our interview with Victor. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Box. And tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. It's time for yet another round of Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 18 people participate in Snap Decisions. It was a very good week for predictions. There were four of us who called six out of last week's seven fights correctly. That group includes Cameron Hutton, Michael Clements, Brian Bruin, at BadVF1 on Instagram, and... Once again, just saying, me. However, there was one person who predicted seven out of seven fights correctly last week. Our first perfect score of the season from my co-host, Lindsay Bear. Lindsay, congratulations. Too bad that uh, she's not joining us for News and Bumpers uh, or else (laughs) she could have uh, celebrated. However, uh, I want to show you... uh, a little bit of the data last week. So our sure shot last week was uppercut versus Gemini with every single person last week, 18 out of 18 of us calling it correctly for uppercut. The hardest match to call was the main event. We were split evenly down the middle with half going for hypershock and the other half going for gruff. All right, let's run through this week's fight card. I can't wait to hear your predictions. Kyle, are you prepared? Chris, are you ready? Yeah, I may as well just uh, go Chris's route and, yes, the opposite of everything Luke did uh, this time, just because I'm doing so poorly. Um, but, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I feel like my analysis is at least worthwhile if my predictions aren't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, our our first, our, our opening match of the night, Slapbox versus Tombstone, a brand-new rookie bot versus one of the oldest, most storied legacy Hard-hitting robots of the uh, the game. Very odd matchup. Slapbox versus Tombstone. Your prediction, Kyle. This is a very typical matchup in robo games, right? You will see in robo games last right versus a ton of rectangle-shaped robots that look a lot like Slapbox. Um, and very often, those rectangle-shaped box the bots are able to beat last right. 
Granted, Tombstone is a lot more reliable than Last Rites and hits quite a bit harder. Um, that said, I'm going to give it to Tombstone. I, we just don't know enough about Slapbox. Uh, it looks like a really fast bot. It looks like a really powerful bot. Um, but it's Tombstone. And I know that that did not go well for anybody who bet on Tombstone last time around, but yeah, I mean, I feel like the producers just kind of had to give them something here, something to, to like squash and show that they're a real threat in this tournament. And this might be it. Interesting. What do you say, Chris? Slapbox versus Tombstone. I'm going to give Slapbox a, a gentle pat on the head. And I'm going to say you can fit a whole lot of crushed dreams in this bad boy. And I'm going to go with Slapbox. I am also going to go Slapbox. All right, interesting. Slamo versus Pain Train. Two brand new bots uh, to the competition. Slamo, of course, uh, driven by a friend of the pod, Craig Danby. And Pain Train uh, from relatively new uh, insect weight drivers and builders in Evan Arias and Anthony D'Ambrosio. Uh, two interesting bots. Your, uh, your predictions on these two rookies, Kyle. Slamo. Why? Because he has been driving that bot and making it work since well before Orlando Maker Fair. Um, he can practice with it in his garage all day. He has it all the way dialed in, and he's got probably seven wedge attachments that will work just fine for a bot like Paint Train. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to Craig Danby and Slamo. Interesting. All right, Chris, uh, your, your prediction? It's it's pretty interesting. I, I've never quite seen uh, a spinner like Pain Train. Um, it's 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 definitely obscure. Uh, I don't know what you would even call uh, a, like a like a like a waffle drum spinner. <laughs> I, you probably have a name for it already. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I mean, it's like it's water jet pieces fits together around a shaft. I have no idea what to call it. It's very strange. It's, it's like a battle harmonica. <laughs> All right. And therefore, forever, Pain Train has a battle harmonica. Moving on. <laughs> Hopefully it's not playing the blues. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in absence of, uh, uh, let's say, a minotaur uh, spinner uh, this year, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll put some uh, stock in, in Pain Train. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to go Slamo for similar reasons, um, just because I know that Craig has had that robot dialed in and sitting in his garage now for months. And uh, Pain Train was built within a month, and this will be their first time really experimenting with the robot. They haven't had a lot of arena time with it, and I think they may need one match to, to kind of iron out the kinks. Um, really interesting robots, both of them. Really looking forward to this match. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give it to uh, experience uh, over kinetic energy. All right, over to uh, Scorpios versus Perfect Phoenix. This will be our second time seeing both of these bots in the box. Kyle, your thoughts on this match? Ooh, this was a hard one to call. Um, I'm, I mean, Tyler is a better driver than Zach by a skosh. Mm. Um, and we saw Perfect Phoenix do well against an extinguisher that had a malfunction, but we haven't seen what that bot can do going the full distance yet. Um, it, I think a lot of it depends on how 
deep into the tournament this is for Perfect Phoenix. Like if this is actually their second fight or if this is like their third or their fourth fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like because we know the the kind of spares situation with Perfect Phoenix is, is kind of slim. Eesh. Hard to call. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Perfect Phoenix, but I'm not super confident in that decision. Interesting. Okay. Chris, your thoughts on this match? Um, I think Scorpius is built for, for this kind of fight. Um, while I, I do think that uh, I, I'll agree with Kyle that, that Tyler is, is a great driver, um, I, I just don't know if it's it's gonna work out to get around the defense of, of Scorpios. Uh, all it all it really takes is for one or two wall checks or to get caught up in the screws. And this is clearly a fight that would go to Scorpios. So that's that's where my vote goes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting that the that the producers gave Scorpios two overhead bar spinners back to back, and seeing how uh, the first the first kind of outing with the horizontal overhead did not do great. I think I'm also going to give it to Perfect Phoenix. Um, you know, we we really haven't seen the bot tested in the box. I think that this is going to be a major test. Scorpios is very well built. Um, they're going to have that huge wedge on the front. Um, so I'm, I'm going to agree with you, Kyle. I, I don't feel super confident in this call. Also, Scorpios suffered a huge amount of damage in that fight against Bloodsport. So get, get the robot back together and put it, you know, put it back into the box. Um, it's another big question mark, but I think I'm going to give it to Tyler. Um, okay. Interesting. Um, One other thing I'll say about this, I don't think Scorpios has a lot of ability with their different wedge configurations to win the ground game. And perfect Phoenix has, two hinged wedges like two ground scraping designed by paul ventimiglia low to the ground wedges so that's something you know what i mean like even if it goes down to like a no weapons fight i feel like perfect phoenix will at least be able to get under scorpios Mm, okay uh next match mad catter versus ribot thoughts on this uh these these two animal themed uh robots kyle Um, two amazing drivers, two drivers that compete against each other literally all the time, uh, in smaller weight classes. Um, I'm going to give it to Mad Catter. Okay. All right. I I think, uh, Calvin is a slightly better driver. Um, and Mad Catter is proven, tested, and dialed in beyond belief. Whereas the Ribot team did not have access to their bot for most of the year. Okay. Uh, Chris, your your prediction here. I'm going to throw this one uh, back to uh, some advice that I got from a wrestling coach when I was in high school, and uh, he, it it was in in preface to uh, you know something that you should know if you're ever in a situation where you, where you're forced to fight in in the real world, and that is, um, crazy always beats big, hmm. but nothing beats big and crazy. So <laughs> I, I'm going to give it to Mad Catter. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> um, you know, this this one's hard to predict because these are both modular bots, so you don't really know which configuration is going to come out. Um, True. You you can you can expect that probably Mad Catter is going to go with a vertical disc, um, 
and maybe maybe Ribot's going to come out with the undercutter again. I'm not really sure. Um, that's that's what makes this tough. Um, I do think that I will also go Mad Catter just because Calvin has had more time to practice the robot in the off season. I hmm, yeah, and and his first performance this this year was was really strong. Um, Dominant. But but all yeah, this this is going to be a pretty even match, I, I think. Um, all oh, right, yeah, it could go either way. <laughs> uh, on over to uh, something that seems very uneven on the surface: uh, Gamma Nine versus Chomp. Our first look at the very first 500-pound Walker Bot in Battlebots history, built by the geniuses behind Chomp, Zoe Steven- Stevenson, Yasha Little. Um, you know, your your thoughts on this match. This is the very first look at uh, Walker Chop, but it's also the very first look at brand new Gamma 9 that still looks like a robot from 1999. Um, I.e., except it, it's a little bit more Batmobile-esque, I guess. Um, I don't know. This is interesting. Who knows? Gamma 9 might be able to get underneath Chomp and actually scoot them around the box. That's totally possible. You know what I mean? Like, Chomp doesn't really have a low game. Uh, this is hard to call. I don't know how much anything can survive that hammer, though. Yeah. Literally anything. Um, if it swings harder than the last Chomp by, what did he say, like seven times? Like a ridiculous amount harder. Uh, I have to give it to Chomp. I mean, it's hard to bet against Chomp anyway. Like the last version, uh, I'm gonna have to give it to Chomp. Okay, uh, Chris, your prediction on Gamma Nine versus Chomp? Gamma Nine. I know you said it looks like something from the '90s. It looks like either something from the early 2000s or um, the uh, the '70s and '80s. That's. It looks like uh, like a Cylon from Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Ah, mm. oh, that's so good. Yes. Chris, always always dropping the Battlestar Galactica references. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris, why is it that you continue to drop Battlestar Galactica references? That's what I think people want to know. Um, okay, well, I, uh, I I worked as an intern uh, doing some animations uh, for the end credit sequence for Battlestar Galactica. Yes, yes, there we go. Okay. That is, that is my uh, moment in the sun. So I assume Did that... Did you ever get uh, to meet Katie Sackhoff? Because she's so cool. I, I one time got to meet uh, Lucy Lawless, and that was uh, that was pretty extraordinary. That's but pretty cool. that was not that was not necessarily in our animation studio. So I ah. I'm assuming that uh, you're going to go with Gamma Nine, then, Chris. <laughs> in this case, uh, 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 bears uh, eat beets. Uh, Chomp beats Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Uh, I'm also going to go Chomp, um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a further prediction, a stretch prediction, that uh, Chomp's hammer smashes that little plastic bubble on the top of Gamma 9, uh, thus uh, shattering, shattering that bot's uh, iconic 1960s-esque aesthetic. Um, okay, uh, almost to the end here. Shatter versus Mal. It's a little bit of grudge, uh, grudge match here. Not really. I mean, Bunny obviously <laughs> loves uh, Adam Wrigley and, and the rest of the team. But uh, Bunny uh, competed last season on on Bots FC, makers of Shatter. Now she's captaining her own team with Malice. Uh, I'm sure they're going to play that angle up this week. Your thoughts on Shatter versus Malice? Whew. 
going to be a fun fight. It's going to be a fun fight. I think that Malice uh, basically bucked all of our predictions as far as how that bot performs. It hits hard. It drives very well. Um, the team does a great job with it. It's going to be a fun match. I'm going to give it to Shatter, but just barely. And it's simply because we've seen what the top armor on Malice looks like. And it's decent, but it's not great. Okay. Chris, your thoughts on this match, Shatter versus Malice? I think that this is a, a match where we're going to see, uh, unlike the previous week, uh, lots of hammers flying. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just that, that, you know, the weapon on mouse isn't necessarily one that a, a hammer bot would have to fear, um, you know, given yep. like the low profile of the spinner and uh, it's not, um, you know, it's not really, uh, you know, protruding that far out from its armor. You know, I, I think it's going to be a very exciting match, um, but, you know, mouse isn't really a bot that's designed to get under other bots and, you know, unless they, they kind of retrofit some more armor on top, I, I would really give this to Chatter, but... You know, who knows? Mm. Stranger things have happened. I, I'm going to go with Malice. Um, and I, I think that we're going to see some good pushing power out of this this robot in this match. Um, I think yeah. given Shatter's omnidirectional wheels and Malice's just giant, chonky, huge, huge wheels, um, that, that, that we're going to see um, a bit more control out of Malice. Um, I, I am concerned that there aren't a lot of right angles on Shatter that Malice's big drum can can attack, um, but perhaps it can ride up on the top of, of Shatter and attack that arm. Um, so I, I am going to uh, to give it to Bunny and her team. All right, um, on over to the main event, Bloodsport versus Endgame. Thoughts on this, no doubt, explosive match, Kyle? Oh, this is going to be... So much fun. Um, I'm going to give it to Bloodsport. Okay. I think it's super interesting that the producers decided to give the other extremely powerful horizontal spinner in the, like, in the arena to Endgame after their match with Tombstone. Very strange choice. Very interesting choice. Um, I think that the Bloodsport team has probably thought a lot about what endgame strategy was going into that Tombstone match, and I think that they have probably figured out a way around it. Bloodsport's mm. a little bit faster than Tombstone, uh, might be a little bit harder for endgame to outmaneuver them, and also endgame does not care if you get behind them. Or, I'm sorry, Bloodsport does not care if you get behind them. That play goes around the entire robot. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give it to Bloodsport just because there's really no strategy for Bloodsport other than survive. Right. Okay. Uh, Chris, your, your thoughts on the main event. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting way to look at it. I, if Endgame ends up taking the victory against Bloodsport, I would say Endgame thus far has done the most to shape, you know, the final, uh, the final bracket. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, it is, it is interesting the juxtaposition of matches against very very powerful horizontal spinners um and you know i i, I do think that uh end game would have the advantage um in, in the advantage here um especially uh if 
uh, he's able to uh, get on top of, of Bloodsport and prevent that spin-up time. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say Endgame. Um, and, you know, if, if Endgame really does take this match, I, I would fully expect to see them in the top eight or top four even. Mm. Uh, very well said. I echo everything that you just said, Chris, and I will also go Endgame. If you are shouting at your podcast player and you want to send us your predictions for Thursday night's fights, look for our fight card post on Thursday on Facebook. Or just speak it to the monolith. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's uh, transition over to uh, this week's Combat Robotics News. I have four news items for you today. We'll run through these very very fast. First up, uh, Discovery will be skipping next week's New Year's Eve showing of BattleBots and will resume airing the show on Thursday, January 7th. The listing notes that most bots will only get three fights in the regular season to impress the selection committee who puts together the round of 32 championship bracket. Meanwhile, Discovery's new streaming service, Discovery Plus, will launch on Monday, January 4th with the new show BattleBots Bounty Hunters as teams sign up to take on storied legends in the sport for a chance to win cash prizes. On over to the Weird World of Science YouTube, where a science YouTuber named William Osmond this week revealed that he was the person who bought the original Red Devil from builder Jerome Miles, who put the bot up for sale in February for $6,000. In a video that's already been viewed more than 1.2 million times in less than a week, William uses the robot to cut apart a kid's bike and a Roomba and push a four-tour station wagon around on the street. Very safe and very cool. William Osman is best known, at least on Combat Robotics Internet, as the builder of the joke bot, Moist Pony. That is simply the worst name for anything that's ever existed. <laughs> he also put that song, Pink Fluffy Unicorns Dancing on Rainbows, in my head for like six months. And then my kids watched that video, and then it was in their head for another like four months. There are many reasons I dislike William. But uh, mostly it's that song. <laughs> You've got to watch this this video if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, Red Devil looks so awesome. It's such a cool bot and uh, super destructive. Really, really amazing work from Jerome. And uh, found an interesting home, I guess, uh, is the best that you can say. All right. Nothing uh, in this video is Musha approved. Nothing. Nothing in <laughs> no. this video. No, no. Um, All right, let's check in on this week's hottest BattleBots merch, which comes to you from the team behind Jackpot, which commemorated the team's damaging its dual vertical disc in its fight against Sub-Zero last week with a new limited-run T-shirt showing their weapon making an X. I love the shirt. I've ordered the shirt. Check it out on the team's website. And finally, our friends over at Team Witch Doctor are giving away a piece of their fire-breathing mini-bot, Shaman, as part of a thank you to the team's supporters. If you'd like to enter to win, check out details on the team's Facebook page. All right, let's uh, switch gears and get into our recap of last week's fights. Uh, Let's run through these very quickly. Chris's battery is dying on his laptop, uh, so (laughs) let's let's run through this. Uh, Week three seemed to be a week where there were a lot of electrical failures, um, a lot of kind of weird matches, a lot of robots that kind of uh, stopped midway through um, a very punishing fight, um, some kind of surprising... Uh, outcomes and one very controversial judge's decision. Um, first up, Copperhead versus Gigabyte. Uh, starting off the episode with a bang, decapitation, love it. 
you know, tossing this 115 pound uh, shell in the air, gigabyte light landing in multiple pieces and, um, and really just a perfect performance from Copperhead. Um, Later, uh, after after this fight, Copperhead team member Robert Cowan posted a video to YouTube where he questioned two of the choices that the team behind Gigabyte made uh, going into this fight. One, uh, you know, going with teeth that were a little bit higher on the shell, uh, giving them, you know, kind of prime real estate, something to, to latch onto. And um, also using metal, uh, this metal spindle that uh, had been previously damaged in their fight last season against Witch Doctor, which immediately sheared off uh, within seconds. And we saw this massive decapitation. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on this super thrilling opening to week three. It was cool to see that shell pop off in like from a vertical spinner as opposed to when it got knocked off by Tombstone and it kind of like hockey pucked around the box the last time it mm. came off. Uh, this time it literally looked like a like a space, an alien spacecraft just flying up into the air and then coming back down like while spinning in the, the centrifugal force, just kind of like sending it kind of gliding like a Frisbee around. That was beautiful. Um, it was really cool. You could tell it was the aluminum piece that sheared off right away. My question is, and I understand that it was damaged in that fight against Witch Doctor where they got like knocked into the air like a million times. A, why would you use the same piece that got knocked into the air a million times by Witch Doctor? I mean, that they took, they went up what, like 15 feet in the air in their Witch mm. Doctor fight last year? Yeah. Why would you use anything from that bot? <laughs> right. That's such a bad choice. I don't know. Just just seems like a structurally strange decision. Um, mm. And then why is that piece made out of aluminum? Like in general, you know, that holds the weapon onto the, the drive. Very strange choice that that piece is made out of aluminum and it's failed twice now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I watched... Um... I watched the match, and I i don't know if it's the gift of of uh, just great foresight, but I, I totally saw that coming. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as Gigabyte lost the top, I was just like, yeah, yeah, yep, okay. <laughs> All right, uh, on over to Jackpot versus Sub-Zero. Um, so in the run-up to this, this match, you know, we learned – really interesting fact that I didn't know about Jackpot, uh, which is that team captain Jeff Waters spent just $4,000 on this build, which is an absolute bargain. It's probably one of the cheapest robots in the field uh, this this season. And it's it's just like a real marvel when, when you think about the budget and this sprint, this one month sprint to, to build this robot. Um, up against Sub-Zero, which has been in the game for years and years and years with a driver who's been driving that robot um, for over 10 years. Um, and when Sub-Zero came out, just like out of out of the, uh, the shoot, it just looked so clean. Mm -hmm. um, that robot, just, just amazing. Um, and really, you know, this, this, for for most of the match was sub zero's match to lose i mean um jackpot had some electrical problems like pretty early um in the fight or at least looked like it um got pushed into to the side kind of had had its discs um bent and then right 
at the last minute, um, we saw you know some wires get loose inside of Sub Zero, and the bot completely stopped moving. Um, so it looked like some teething issues, you know, for for these two robots um, in in their their first match of the season. Uh, your thoughts on this fight? I will say this is the best I have ever seen Sub Zero. Um, if if you even if you, with the issues, yes. With, even with the issues, I mean, I I had never seen the bot driven like that before. Uh, it, yep. it was clearly outmaneuvering jackpot. It was mm. destined to win that fight without, um, you know, uh, a technical uh, interference stepping in and kind of ruining the fun. Um, jackpot, it, it, it is pretty cool. It's a very interesting weapon design. Um, and, you know, ultimately it was able to eke it out because because of, uh, of an issue internally in Sub-Zero. But um, if, if Logan and team are able to you know, really kind of hunker down and, and fine tune some of the internals of, of Sub-Zero. It's a real competitive bot. It is one of the, um, the most agile uh, flippers mm. uh, in, in its ability to maneuver and turn and, and, and scoop like other bots. It's, it's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Kyle, your, your thoughts on this match? Did you want to add anything? No, I think Chris hit the nail on the head. Sub-Zero looked great. Um, that flipper is not the most powerful flipper in the game, but it sounds like they can get a ton of flips out of it, which is awesome. Um, and it's definitely enough to get a bot outside the arena, you know, like that's, that's what you're going for with those things. Yeah. I thought it was incredibly well, well driven. I really liked the look of it. Uh, it was too bad that they had the electrical failure and weren't able to continue the match. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Good for jackpot. Yeah. All right. Uh, on over to our most lopsided match of the night, Uppercut versus Gemini. Uh, as Uppercut ended up punching both Gemini robots uh, within seconds of the start of the match, including punting one of them clear across the battle box where it landed right in front <laughs> of Lisa Winter. Uh, this is the second uh, gigantic robot that's been punted right into the the Lexan right in front of Lisa, um, which is pretty interesting um, of this season. Uh, uppercut achieving the knockout in just 25 seconds, which is a blisteringly fast uh, uh, match. Um, we also saw the BattleBots debut of Dominic and Hunter Yankaskis, who are appearing on two teams this year with both Gemini and Slapbox. So we will be seeing the Yankaskis family again this Thursday. Your thoughts on this very fast, very lopsided match? Uppercut is sick. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the um, the uh, the physics breakdown uh, provided by the show. Mm. Did, did anyone like tune in for that? That was that was uh, that was really a great new segment that we really haven't yeah. seen in the past. Like. You know, gave us like the explain it like I'm five version of all the physics that's happening here, and and and, and um, you know how other bots are able to the impact um, uh, zone is like uh, even even further and deeper into the bot, allowing it to transfer more energy into the bot and a smaller surface area. It was so cool to watch all of that. And I wish they did that for every single bot, um, mm. even if it was content that was only available online. I would I would be happy to tune in for that. Um, uh, again, this match played out exactly uh, like I had thought. Gemini, uh, yeah, it's cool. They they definitely put um, uh, you know some some more emphasis into the weapons for their for their bots this year. And uh, but I don't know how a multi bot's going to hold up against uh, 
um, you know, something with just the, the sheer power that uppercut brings to the, to the, to the box. Um, uppercut. I, I, it's one of my personal favorite bots this year. Uh, as soon as I had originally seen them, I became a huge fanboy, and I, I really hope that we see them in, in the, in the, in the top eight this year. Uh, that's a really interesting idea, Chris. I think getting a like Peter Abramson style YouTube series of just breaking down the different weapons and drivetrains of the bots would actually be some like BattleBots exclusive content that would do really well on YouTube. That would be awesome. Yeah. On over to uh, Beta versus Rotator, with, which uh, generated almost no online controversy. I don't think I saw anything about this match at all in, in the last week on Combat Robotics Internet. Uh, good match, highly technical match, uh, slightly controversial match. Um, I know that we're, we're going to have Victor on in about 10 minutes to really go through his take on the match. Um, and it's it's a really interesting kind of kind of breakdown from from Victor's perspective. Uh, any thoughts? I guess b before the interview, quickly about uh, <laughs> about Beta versus Rotator. Uh, I felt bad for Kraken. Yeah. Okay. That's that's my thoughts on this match. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I, like if we're talking about consistency, and that's really my issue is consistency. Consistency needs to be the thing. I have thoughts and feelings, but none of which could be divulged quickly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I can I can understand and I can empathize with both um, both, uh, uh, both spheres of philosophy, but uh, ultimately I don't see a clear path to um, you know for for either one to like uh, be a, be be free and clear and be a hundred percent right. Um, you know if. If if I if I can go and dive into it a little a little bit deeper right now, um, you know I I understand the I I understand the importance of having a primary weapon and having that be present in, in a match, uh, but once we start going down the road of in, like instituting rulings about the use of said weapon. Where does that stop? And I'm not one that usually likes a slippery slope argument. I think that it's it's kind of um, a, just a, a cheap tool. But you know, if if there was a minute left in the match and there is a a weapon that broke with 60 seconds left, there was potential for them to use it in that last 60 seconds. But uh, it, it, you know, it was gone by that point. Um, so then, like you know, what do we say next? Like you have to use the weapon in the first two minutes, the first minute, the first thirty seconds. You have to use it once every fifteen seconds. What's the ruling for it to be fair? Uh, you know, and then in the other in the other boat, I understand. It's like you could you could literally just you know put a a, a piece of string cheese hanging off the front of your bot and call that your your weapon. Mm. And really, what you are is a two hundred fifty pound wedge bot. Mm. That I, yeah, I totally understand that that's that's what happened in the '90s, and it became less and less interesting. So, it's kind of a damned if you do. It's kind of a damned if you don't. The whole thing, but chicken and eggy. And I don't think that there's really a clear path, um, you know, forward with with either camp kind of winning because they both are right and they both are wrong. Shatter uh, would have fired their hammer. Well, that's a good point. Um, you know, I. I, I <laughs> I, I certainly, you know, I have I have no right to have an opinion here. I'm not a builder. I haven't put in twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars and six months of my life into a robot to see. I a mean, you're, it's a sport, though, and you're a fan. You're allowed to have an opinion. I, you know, I, I I'm not a professional this. football player, but I like <laughs> I like football. I, I will say that you know. Um, 
I don't think that going down one path is going to result in all robots looking like La Machine or the other path, all robots becoming bite force. Like, I don't think that that's like the reality. I do think that there's like the spirit of BattleBots and the letter of the law of BattleBots. The spirit of BattleBots is we're here to make exciting television, right? And what do kids like to watch for three minutes? They like to watch hammers going. They like to watch spinners going, you know, like they like to watch destruction. They like to watch a TV show, you know? Um, And sometimes that is at odds with the kind of, calculated technical kind of um, maneuvering of a competition. Um, so I guess the question comes down to, you know, is this a TV show? Are we making entertainment? Yeah. Is this a competition? Is this a true competition? You know, like it's not an open kind of invitational. Uh, it's not like anybody can, can show up. Um, so what, what, what exactly are we doing here? You know, like and I totally agree with you in, in regards to the spirit uh, that's that's exactly what every team should be bringing every every season to BattleBots. I mean, if if you bring a bot and you don't uh, really make exciting matches happen, you're 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 kind of devaluing yourself and your brand for for additional seasons. And it like you your your responsibility there as a player is to bring it, and mm. as a team is to bring it every single season. But as far as you know, if if we're going to reinvent the rules to to kind of to kind of force people to play a certain way that's very very different Hmm. and so you know it should be it should this should be more of a um a community fix versus a ruling fix Hmm. interesting um all right smith would have fired their hammer and kept firing the shaft after the head fell off just then All right, let's uh, let's fly through the the last three. All right, Valkyrie versus Tantrum, another kind of teething issues match, uh, punishing match. Valkyrie ran its big sixty five pound undercutter sweet Caroline, uh, quickly landed a couple devastating hits on Tantrum, rendering Tantrum's punching arm stuck in its starting position. But Valkyrie quickly shorted out the wire that ran from the bot's receiver to its weapon motor controller, turning off their weapon, um, and. Really, it was Tantrum's match from there. I mean, they showed incredible control. They shoved Tantrum into the, uh, the Tantrum shoved uh, Valkyrie into the corner. Really, kind of got it under the pulverizers. However, there was a battery issue with Tantrum, and the bot died. So uh, Valkyrie eked out a win, um, but you know, again, kind of electrical reliability issues for for both of these robots. Quick thoughts on Tantrum this. did get hits with their weapon, though. When they got Valkyrie up on top of them, you saw the sparks flying underneath Valkyrie from Tantrum's yeah. weapon. And they, they kind of talked about it on the show, like Tantrum didn't get any primary weapon hits. And it's like, well, that's not the case. They got, they got like three. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tantrum clearly got a buzz cut, but I, I tell you, that, that whole match, I am like, I am grabbing onto Lindsay's shoulder, and like every eight seconds... Like I am just like, I am just uttering the words. Tantrum's gonna win this fight. Mm. Tantrum's yeah. gonna win this fight. And then yeah. I throw like a question mark on it. Like Tantrum's gonna win this fight. And like I, I could not believe what I was seeing. Valkyrie is one of the best design bots that has ever played the game. Mm. And I, I just. 
I wasn't emotionally prepared for what was happening in front of my eyes. But, um, you know, ultimately the, the gods and fate decided to step in and, um, you know, it, it was, I, that's gotta be such a, a blow to tantrum. But at the same time, if I was, if I was, you know, team tantrum, I would, I would be like, we almost beat Valkyrie mm. and I would have renewed spirit. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would, I would get to work on, on making, you know, some of the fine tuning, the bells and whistles, uh, the best that they could be, because then what, guess what? You have a very competitive bot. Um, and you know, you could expect a lot from your, from your team in the future. Yeah. We saw some good moves from both teams, but you're right. Tantrum really did some great work. I cannot wait to see that bot come back and hopefully with their weapon actually fully functioning the entire map. On over to Big Dill versus Adam94, two brand new robots in the box. Um, and also a very one-sided match uh, for, for this one as well. Um, it really came down to experience and kind of reliability of design. Uh, the Big Dill really in control of this match from second one. Um, even kind of catching the, these exposed weapon belts on um, on Adam 94 and uh, having to be pulled apart in the middle of the match uh, really, you know, comes down to Emmanuel's just years of experience um, building your thoughts on this, uh, this, this match. What a great driver Emmanuel is. I mean, like mm. as far as control bot drivers go, you can tell he was the, the genius behind Warhawks minibot for so long. Like, so good. So good. Like, just took control of this match, lifted them up, did great flips with them, got them, like, up in the air off of their own weapon. It, it was just totally neutralized Adam94. It was great. Yeah. Is Adam94 competitive? Do you think that they can shake off this first loss and, uh, and do something with that beefy weapon of theirs? Yeah, I think they have a chance. I mean, this was a tough first draw for them, and they obviously had some teething issues. Um, so it would have been, you know, a, a more even match, I think, if everybody was working at full capacity. Uh, I still think Big Dill would have pulled out the win, but, um, yeah, they can be competitive. They just got to work some stuff out. And luckily, they fought a grappler bot, so they have a fully, you know, they didn't get any damage. So they'll be able to put it all back together and get it back out there pretty quickly. Mm. On over to our main event, Gruff versus Hypershock. Uh, the fans were split, and that's always a good sign when you're going into a main event. Nobody really knows who is going to have the advantage here. Obviously, uh, Hypershock had the more destructive weapon, um, but Gruff built like a little tank um, with these two giant flamethrowing mega torches and incredible pushing power from, from both robots. Um, I would love to get your thoughts on this match, Hypershock versus Gruff. I, uh, you know, I'm I'm growing um, to become a, a bigger and bigger fan of Gruff. You know, I thought that I peaked last season, but um, they're they're just a, a very it's a great resilient bot. Gruff has the best jaw in BattleBot. Like that mm. is the best way of describing that bot to me. You can hit that thing as many times as you want, and it looks at you and goes, were you said, trying to tell me something? Did you have something to say? Um, it's awesome. And that flamethrower, oh my gosh, what a beautiful flame coming out of that flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> Just bright blue, looks like it can melt your face off, 
just such a pretty flame. I mean, I know that's not their primary weapon, but I would primarily be scared of that. Mm. Yeah. 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 You don't want to be pinned for 30 seconds and uh, getting barbecued. Like that's a, it's a, it's a bad look. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say like gruff, the, when, when you look at all of the robots in the field, there's certain robots that are just the picture of reliability. Like they are going to run the full three minutes. Like you are going to have to knock them out or it's going to go to the judges. And, and Gruff is one of those robots. Somehow this team has nailed reliability. And, um, and we, we saw that on display. I mean, you need to outlast your opponent. Um, and Gruff was really in top form. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about Gruff's 2020 season. This was definitely a main event worthy match. I mean, both these teams really brought it. It was a great fight. Uh, Gruff just outlasted. And, you know, that's, that's how you win. I'd say a little extra, you know, anxiety and drama was brought to the table just because of the uncertainty around rulings for, for bots that, you know, um, don't necessarily deliver a lot of physical damage. And so, mm. you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm, you know, I'm kind of nervous, like Gruff could have, you know, um, essentially what it takes to, to own the, uh, you know, the, the match, but, you know, if, at the same time, Hypershock has the ability to really deliver a lot of physical damage. And, you know, but ultimately it, it did come down to, I think, um, you know, some 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 technical issues inside of, of Hypershock. Um, but, you know, it's just like, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not emotionally ready for this season and for, you know, how, how things are playing out and, and, you know, for matches that go all the way, you don't know what's going to happen. It's 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 crazy. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Will Bales wrote on on Facebook today mm -hmm. that um, that there are more controversial judges' decisions in our future. So, as fans, we have to mentally, emotionally prepare for that. Um, Later on in this hour, Victor says as much in in his interview with us. Um, so so yeah, Matt I mean, Burke has made some wonderful memes about it so far <laughs> in the past two weeks. Yes, yes. Um, so so yeah, I mean, for for the wonderful control bots in the fields this year, um, they are really going to have to do something special to to win some of these judges' decisions. Um, so that is on our horizon. I am I am a little concerned considering now that you know as as kind of super fans we're 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 well versed in that narrative that's being built now. So every time like you know you hear about oh there's a lot of really controversial decisions coming up, uh, or if someone says you know hey there's a really you know controversial decision in the next episode, you immediately know. Oh, it's going to be a match that goes, you know, the full three minutes, and it's likely going to be a match where, you know, um, you know, one bot has a high energy weapon and one doesn't. Hmm. And, you know, yep. it's kind, of, it's it's not a spoiler, but it's at the same time, it's it's uh, it's kind of taking me out of um, just being like just have a spectator that's having a great time, and instead, I'm trying to like, you know, kind of brace for 
you know, uh, an upset or, or, or seeing something that I didn't want to play out to play out. And I wish that we could just kind of shake the etch sketch and, you know, go into the next episode, uh, with, with, with a fresh, with a fresh look on everything. But, you know, un- unfortunately it's like the, the whole season's been kind of, um, you know, painted in, in a very specific light. Mm. Yep. Well said, Chris. And that's it for this week's predictions, news, and fight night recap. After the break, our interview with Victor Soto. (laughs) Thank you, Monolith. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Rotator Captain Victor Soto. Victor is a medical device engineer who lives and works in Florida. As a high school student, he began competing at BattleBots IQ and later made a name for himself with his middleweight undercutter Blue Flame, which took home second place at the 2011 competition. In 2016, he appeared as a rookie on the ABC reboot of BattleBots with Rotator, a dual horizontal disc spinner with a striking golden paint job. He returned the following season with a new and improved version of the bot that went deep in the competition chopping Ice Wave in half in the round of 16, but ultimately falling to an eventual 2018 season winner, Bite Force, in the round of eight. We're catching up with Victor this week after his first match of the 2020 season, where he lost to Beta on a split judge's decision. We're looking forward to learning more about the team and this bot in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Victor. Hey, Luke. Thank you for having me. It's great to be behind the bots. Uh, Victor, I'm so excited that 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 we are able to have you on. Um, Chris and Lindsay and and me, we uh, we all met you at Robot Ruckus, um, where you were meeting the fans and like displaying Rotator. It is such a beautiful bot to see in person. It's gigantic and it's such a popular bot too. There were so many kids coming up and uh, taking photos with you and with the bot. It was like a really really special experience. Um, really love to, you know, um, learn, learn more about it, you know. Um, so so this, this, this is a real treat for us. Great. Yeah. Great. I, I'd love to jump in just straight into the controversy. Uh, this beta rotator match from last Thursday. Um, now, the, the match happened a couple months ago. You watched it last week, I'm assuming. Um, mm-hmm. And you saw all of this kind of like fiery debate about the match on the internet um, for literally the last week. Um, I, I'd love to start by, you know, getting your take on the fight. You know, can you can you take us back a couple months to to arriving at BattleBots, kind of getting set up um, and learning from the producers that you were going to face Beta in, in your first match? Sure. Yeah. So I guess a little. Um... It's a little backstory, but uh, it's not really a spoiler, so I'll, I'll say it. But this was actually Rotator's third fight, but it's Whoa. been it's its first fight. Um, so Be- Beta, the team Beta, or Beta, I keep saying it wrong. I'm just going to say Beta. <laughs> I'm able to say Beta consistently. Um, they were in quarantine in California due to COVID, and they weren't set to arrive on the, onto, onto the pits uh, until a, a Tuesday, I believe. And that Tuesday night was when we were scheduled to have our first fight. So beta was supposed to be our first fight. But obviously, you know, the team arrives, they have to uncrate the robot, pass safety, set up all the tooling. It takes at least a couple of days to usually do that for, for teams. So we, we didn't get to fight them. But the, uh, 
it was a Tuesday. I think we have been ready to fight since Sunday. So I, I wasn't aware that they still weren't in the pits. So every day I would kind of go around like, where's where's Team Beta? I want to see the robot. <laughs> and I couldn't see it because they weren't they weren't there yet. So long story short, uh, there's been uh, quite a few fights that have already happened. Um, and then this was, I believe, Beta's third fight as well. And this was Rotator's third fight. Um, we had to, you know, sh shift the schedule around because Beta wasn't ready uh, for a fight, obviously because of the, the quarantine. It's it's kind of unreasonable to have them fight that same day. Um, but then we finally get to fight, and it's been like building up because producers say, oh, we really want to have this fight, we really want to have this fight. Like, okay, okay, sure, yeah, we're ready. Um, before they even arrived, we had set up the special armor on the, I guess it's on the bottom of the robot. It's on the side where the blade is at for the single blade configuration that would actually protect the exposed... It's not really exposed, it's just uh, 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 whatever the disc is in covering, essentially. We added uh, a lot of extra steel on top because we had heard about Beta. Um, the last time I had seen Beta was in the 2016 competition where they were they were basically our pit neighbors. Um, and then I've just, whatever I've seen online or on TV is what I know of Beta. So I, I've heard about the reputation of having one of the strongest hammers, so I took it very seriously and I said, okay, well, let's just armor up rotator, take off the wheel guards because, you know, these flat wheel guards don't protect you from overhead strikes. So it's just going to save us 30 pounds that we can put for steel um, armor instead. And we're going to run it with a blade high because um, I'm very competitive and <laughs> I love the whole strategic aspect of BattleBots. That's one of the things I like about rotators that I've designed it so that it can be pretty versatile and we can adapt to different opponents. And and I said, well, if we go with the blade high, um, it's essentially the same strategy we had against Blacksmith last year where if I get lucky, I can try to hit their hinge. Uh, they have a rack and pinion mechanism this year. Before that, uh, before they had arrived, I, th I thought it was still going to be some sort of chain mechanism like Blacksmith. We could potentially hit that and disable their weapon arm. Um, and then it's going to be a lot harder for them to bring their hammer down because, you know, you're basically tempting them to, to get their hammer damaged by the blade. And that's that's totally intentional. We, we don't want to make it easy for our opponents. Um, and uh, so then we we actually have uh, the wedgelets in the back also because we know that uh, Beto runs a, a big plow, just like how we did for horizontal spinners. And... Uh, the hope was that we could get completely underneath beta, and then with a high disc, we could either have beta land on our blade while it was at full speed, or we can do the the spin move. A, a lot of vertical uh, horizontal spinners do it. Uh, Tombstone is known for doing it a lot, but he runs away and then he turns and then hits the side of the other robot. But it's, it's harder for us to do that because we're not as as big as Tombstone. We're a pretty compact robot, but even if we can get halfway underneath um, a robot with a plow, then if we do that spin move. With a high blade, we can catch the bottom edges of their of their armor, and edges are what you want to catch because you can either tear it out or tear it in, and you can potentially high center the robot. So that's really what I was thinking, and I, I tend to overthink all these strategies and uh, try to make it difficult for Beta. Now, when you were thinking about the rock paper scissors of of the matchup. Um, were, were you getting flashbacks to, to Blacksmith? You know, this kind of idea of like, oh, well, let me, maybe maybe they're just going to to just wedge bot me, you know, um, right. like wedge, wedge me around. Um, like, did you, did, did you think that they were going to employ the strategy that they ended up running in, in this match? Um, 
Yeah, I um, when I had seen the robot, I saw that they had their their steel plow and they had some polycarbonate top panels, and and then they had the the metal hammer, like the hammerhead was made out of I think aluminum with steel inserts or something. And right before the match, I saw that they they went with additional they they swapped out the polycarbonate armor for additional steel armor, and then they went with the black plastic hammer. And I will say, okay, yeah, they're going very defensive. You know, I would, I would too, if I was facing a horizontal spinner. Um, and so I expected it to be very similar to Blacksmith. I was just hoping that all the upgrades that I'd done in the off season allowed me to perform better. Because in the Blacksmith fight, we lost uh, one of our drivetrains, uh, one of the wheels. Um, so I actually uh, fixed that issue for this year. And said, okay, as long as the wheels don't go down, I should be able to have a good driving match. And uh, we've also upped the, the the power on the on the weapon. So I was really excited to do or see, excited to see what we could do uh, against Beta. So now now you're standing arena side. The box is locked. The lights are going. It's right about to start. You know um, what 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 was going through your mind at the time? And at what point during the match did you realize that that you know Beta wasn't firing the hammer? You know um, was that something that you expected? going into the match or was, was that a surprise like 90 seconds in realizing that they still haven't attacked with their, their primary weapon? Um, I guess the, the first, my first instinct when the fight started was like, wow, damn, they're fast. <laughs> um, they're, they're all about very fast and John's a very good driver. I've never had to face him. And uh, he, he was on me like white on rice, but it was one of those things where in the, in the match I was just purely focused on either <clears throat> engaging with the forks or engaging with the weapon and not trying to let my side get exposed to him. Um, and I, 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 I had seen his previous fights and I kind of know about the whole wait for a good hit meme <laughs> thing. So I knew John was just, wasn't just going to hit me with a hammer right off the bat. I was totally expecting him to try to pin me against the wall and maybe stop the blade to bring down the hammer. And that's one of the reasons I took off the, the wheel guards because I did want to be a little more squarely. I wanted to be able to climb or drive over beta if I needed to. And, uh, and so uh, if, you, if you watch the match, what, what I was doing is every time I would engage the blade high towards them and I, and I noticed that I would miss, uh, they were obviously going to keep driving and get me into the wall. I would just drive off of their plow and I would just spin one wheel and I would kind of just spin away from them, spin off of them. And then I would try to reset to see if I can get a better shot again. And then, the, unfortunately, the whole match just became a whole uh, uh, repeat of that. Just like engage, skive off. I, I didn't have the reach that I was hoping I would have with the robot, so I couldn't really get the the juicy bits above the armor. <laughs> I kept missing. And then it was just okay. Drive off, spin while the blade's spinning up. Engage with the fork. See if we can get underneath them. Unfortunately, when, when the forks got a little bit underneath them, I couldn't push them. I don't know if it was the magnets that they had or something, but I didn't get traction, and I couldn't physically push them, and that was really disappointing. Uh, and, and so then they, they were able to push us around every time we engaged, but I didn't mind that. I, I actually did want to try to drive up their plow as much as possible because I knew that when they push us around, we're not going to be on our wheels anymore. We're going to be kind of gyroscoping around and nothing's protecting on the top of Beto. So I was hoping there is a bit of luck in the matches that if I drive up, maybe 
rotator will tilt back down, blade down, and it'll catch something. Anything up there would, would be devastating for Beta to lose. Um, but no, the gyroscopic forces kept me pretty parallel, and it, it kind of just angled in every other direction away from Beta. So I got pretty unlucky in that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on how you felt right after the match and versus how you felt watching the match again last week. Like, did the, did the feeling stay the same, you know, now months later after the match? You know, um, do, you, do you still feel that the judges got the, got the call wrong for, for this, this match? Yeah, I, I, I still, like, back then... My interview was purely 100% genuine. It wasn't anything scripted or anything. Um, but there, a little bit of spoiler feed background. There were the Kraken Black Dragon fight had already happened, and I thought Kraken had won its fight. And then there were a few other matches that hadn't aired yet that, in my mind, were pretty bad calls as well. And then there was one in particular that I heard of that I even got interviewed in the pits by one of the one of the crews there. And they're like, what do you think about this fight? And I was like, well, I didn't see it. What happened? And they explained to me, like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'd have to learn a little bit more. But as I learned more from the builders, I'm like, wow, that would, if that really happened, that's a really bad call. And uh, there had already been some frustrations building up in the pits because of these calls, because the builders obviously talk about it. And so this one kind of was like the icing and the cake, like the last straw. When, when this happened in my match, I was just like, okay, this is, I know it's a close fight. It, from, from a casual viewer perspective, it looked like Beta was pushing us around. But being familiar with the rules, I knew that um, you can't, in BattleBots, you can't really get an advantage or, or win a match, really, if you, if you don't use your weapon. And they've done that historically. And in all the sit-down meetings they've had with producers, they constantly hammer us the message, we don't want WedgeBots. You got to have weapons. You got to use weapons. And part of my strategy was preventing Beta from using their weapon unless they got very desperate. Um, and uh, the whole match from a, from a damage perspective was a stalemate until the very end where I guess regardless if it was luck or not because um, I consciously left the weapon on when we would approach the walls because I knew we would bounce around, we were able to tear off Beta's hammer. And to me, that was a big, big moment. That was like a turning point in the match. Like, okay, like, finally, like, something happened. Like, this, we're not just... Pushing, getting pushed around or, and just deflecting off of their plow, damage actually happened. And damage is the biggest factor. And then aggression, you need you, aggression. You need uh, you need to engage with your primary weapon. So I'm like, that's it. That's the turning point. Uh, unfortunately, that was like the one thing that in my mind uh, made me think, you know, we have this match. Uh, that's just the way BattleBots is. Um, but then when the when Farouk announced split decision. Uh, you can tell that I, I was surprised. I was like, whoa, like, okay, uh, maybe it's not as straightforward as I thought it was. And then when he announced Beta as a winner, um, my face, <laughs> I, had to, I had to laugh when I saw my face because I, I don't even know what I was, like, thinking. Well, I knew what I was thinking at that moment, but seeing my face, I was like, oh, man, like, yeah, like, open book. Totally didn't agree with it. I thought they got it wrong. Um, just given the whole history with how like the rules have been evolving and what they, we've been told we want out of the show and things like that. And uh, nothing to discredit John or his team. Um, they did an awesome robot, very reliable, drove really well. Um, 
and I know that not using their hammer was a strategy, but I think that's maybe something, and this is just me assuming at this point, maybe they're, they were used to older rules or rules from previous years, or maybe from other competitions where damage isn't weighed as heavily, um, where that, that would have been okay. And uh, unfortunately, the way the rules are now this year, that's not okay. And so um, it's just one of those things where I still believe the judges got it wrong. And when you read the rules, it's funny because a lot of the fans are now, you know, copying and pasting excerpts <laughs> of the rules. And I think five damage points should have gone a rotator. Doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. Um, because there was significant gash in the back of rotate, um, uh, betas. Uh, they have like a little sheet metal armor plate. Um, took out the hammer and uh, their, their plow had some gashes around the sides. Uh, rotator had zero even dents or dings. It was just like scratches to the paint because most of the time we were able, when we hit the wall was with our weapons still. <laughs> our armor didn't even get dinged. Um, so I, I thought Rotator got all five aggression. I'm sorry, all five damage points. And then in terms of aggression, I think that was split because we were both engaging, well, with the front of our robots, I was engaging with a blade or engaging with a plow because that's the direction their hammer, you know, strikes in. They just never use their hammer, so they can't gain all the, all the aggression points. And then control points, I I would think that Beta got all the control points because they did get to push us around a lot. And then in that, from that aspect, you know, Rotator would have won. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I still think it was the wrong decision. And uh, it was kind of one of those things where uh, in the interview, when Chris and Kenny asked me about it, I, I talk about the primary weapon uh, beta not having fired their hammer and the opera boxes this year are all builders watching builders are usually waiting in line for their for for their fights because they're coming up after you they all started cheering because they all agreed because by that point there had been other things that had happened in the competition that they also didn't agree with so it was kind of a a build-up of things but uh you guys you'll, you'll see that soon i uh i feel like you are confirming that beta never fires his hammer in the entire season no i'm, I'm kidding um, <laughs> um I so so yeah about the controversy online. Um, it's amazing. Like almost immediately, like Thursday night, uh, people started making threads, and there's like 300, 400 comments, like pretty heated back and forth. Um, and it's it's interesting how um, how certain people are really like I, I don't know. Like it's 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 split. Like even even among the fans. Um, did you get a chance to, to read the comments? You know, um, were, were you surprised by, by the reaction to, to this, this, this call? Yeah, I was, I was actually uh, surprised by how, yeah, how heated it got. Like you said, I did poke my head there every once in a while on Reddit and posted a few comments here and there. And <laughs> I don't know if maybe that was a good idea or not, because I did get some, <laughs> some uh, very uh, uh, targeted <laughs> comments back at me. But um, but yeah, I think I think part of it is that the the show has some pretty passionate fans. Um, but I don't think uh, well, I know a lot of them aren't familiar with the rules because um, I think they're they're just going off of emotion right now. Uh, when when you look at the fight, uh, you know, yeah, Beta was pushing us around. We weren't really cutting a lot with our with our blade um, until the very end, and so it looks like we just got bullied. But when you go by the rules, you know, just pushing someone into the wall, unless you 
bend the wheel or damage damage something on the other robot, it, it doesn't really count for anything. So in my mind, it was just all part of the strategy. Like I know the, the, the robot was more, rotator was more reliable this year. That's something I have been putting a lot of effort on. So that's one of the things that, that I depend on to be able to tank hits and then hopefully be able to deliver big hits. Uh, it was just a system from like a strict strategy standpoint. It was almost a stalemate. We couldn't really like hurt each other. And, and so it's, uh, it's, it was a close match, um, but uh, yeah, people, the, the ones who aren't familiar with the rules are generally giving it to beta because it, it, they look better, but then the, the fans that are more familiar with the rules because I've seen them citing it all the time, uh, uh, rule with uh, Rotator winning it. Right. Well, uh, we have a couple of listener questions about about this match, so um, I'll try not to uh, stray too too much into their questions because they, they have some good ones. Um, and and I was thinking maybe before we got into listener questions, I'd love to kind of step back and learn more about your career in combat robotics. So like maybe going back to high school, Florida, you know, um, and and how you first learned. About about combat robotics as a sport, kind of like your um, your early exposure to to other BattleBots builders in Florida and and your first competition. Sure. So I actually started um, through my sister. My sister, um, she was in a school that offered a like um, like a robotics class uh, when she was in high school. She was in. She must have been in 10th grade because I was in 8th grade. I wasn't even in high school yet. And it was this all-girls Catholic school that was paired up with um, public school, a different school to, to build uh, a first robot for the first robotic competitions. And then that, they were building that in Nola Garcia's uh, makerspace uh, called Starbot in, in Miami. And so when I, ever since I was a kid, I don't know, for what reason or whatever, I always knew I wanted to do something with robots and engineering. And when I when I learned that my sister was in this class and she would have to go on weekends to go to this warehouse to help design and build a robot, I was like, oh, I, I want to I join. <laughs> so my parents would let me tag along and um, I would watch the other the teams, you know, like have their meetings where they would come up with, you know, this is what the task has to be for this year. We only have six, six weeks to like design and build. And they would go up on a, on a whiteboard and start drawing ideas and designing. And, and then from that point, it would start getting further, uh, uh, this, uh, I guess they, they actually started using CAD at that point. And I thought that was really cool. So, so I, I basically became like the unofficial team member. I just, I would just join all the time and just tag along. I was like a little brother just hanging along and, uh, I, I got so into it that I even became part of the team eventually and uh, um, basically participated almost every year uh, in high school and became the driver because uh, I guess I was just so good at it. I was you know, a big video gamer as a kid and things like that. So uh, I, I was able to do the first robotic competitions, uh, become a driver, and the uh, college students that were actually mentoring us, a few of them were actually part of Team Loki from the Comedy Central BattleBots. Um, one of them was uh, Nola's son, uh, Will, Will Garcia. He was in part of Team Loki with Corey Klein and like Julio and Alex and um, Dennis and these other guys. And, and they would help us in Starbot. And 
I remember they would teach us how to weld and how to use the mill and the lathe and how to tap. And <laughs> if you broke a tap, we would have this funny thing, go do 10 push-ups. you broke a tap. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it, it was, it was awesome. It was like, it was like my favorite thing in my childhood. And, um, that's how I got introduced to BattleBots because I would see the team after hours, they would be driving a little 60 pound robot they had in the, in the parking lot. And I thought that was so cool because uh, it was like a little, a little spike robot. It was just called Thorn, I believe. And it was going like 30 miles an hour in the parking lot. I was like, whoa, that's fast. What is that? You guys built it? You're like, oh, you got to pick any motor you wanted, any material, anything you wanted. And you could spend as much time as you wanted on it. Like, I think that's so cool. And I, I think it was when I was 16 is when the first BattleBots IQ competition started. And I think that's when Comedy Central canceled BattleBots. So then Trey and Greg, I guess with Nola's help, brought uh, a competition to Florida for high schools. And it became a BattleBots IQ. And I built a robot with some friends that I had met from the makerspace from Starbot and competed there. It was a... A horizontal like a, a wedge buff but with a horizontal spinner on the top of the wedge so you kind of have to drive up the ramp to hit the weapon and it just didn't work very well it was, but it was a good learning experience and um and then that's where i met other builders because mark devitz was part of that paul Ventimiglia was a part of that um eventually it became a college competition i got really lucky that it kind of followed me as i as i graduated i went i went up north to carnegie mellon for for because i wanted to do robotics and then they announced, oh, we're having a college competition. I was like, I'm off, I'm all in. <laughs> and uh, I built a full body spinner, Revenant, and then I built uh, my, my first undercutter, Blue Flame. And I competed with those, uh, those robots. And I met uh, Mike Gillette and Andreas Suarez because they were in the University of Miami team. Um, that's where I met Mark DeWitz and, and all these other builders. And we became really good friends because we would just keep seeing each other every year. And, uh, and I would see Mike, uh, Mike and Andrea at, at the and Paul Grada and and Starbot. And then over the years, uh, uh, they started having smaller competitions with 15-pound robots. That's where I met Will Bales. He was still like a, just a little kid, and he was uh, building. Uh, it was called Fluffy or Fluffy the Large. <laughs> it was basically yeah. the biggest biggest drum spitter for a 15-pounder you've ever seen. And that's when he infamously. Uh, caught his robot on fire and the competition is being held in his high school's gyms. <laughs> that was the gym fire that's been mentioned. And it was it's just a lot of fun stories. I, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, how you think your life would be different if you hadn't met Nola Garcia and Billy and, and were, were able to hang out at Starbot, you know, um, and see really cool combat robots um, you know, like how, how, how do you, how do you think that like shaped the, the course of your, of your life? It's kind of, it's really hard to imagine not having had that as a, as a kid, because I remember taking college courses and we're learning about more in-depth engineering. And, and I'm, I remember thinking like, Oh, like, I remember I, I did this when I wired up a robot and <laughs> that was a bad idea. That's why wires melted or this caught on fire and uh, I'm really familiar with like gear ratios and torque transmission and things like that because I've done that already and uh, it really helped me become a better engineer um, to the point where when I when I even started my first job which was uh, uh, part of Mako Surgical a startup company that eventually got bought out by Stryker I was already fully 
familiar with how to use SolidWorks. <laughs> and I was like one of the engineers that just, I just came on board and already knew how to use it and didn't have to learn anything in it. And uh, it, I, it's, it'd be hard to imagine what it would have been like without it because uh, I, I, I depended a lot of that. I, they, they called it uh, stealth learning and it's almost like becoming, having better uh, uh, engineering intuition and uh, it helps you become a better engineer and just second guess yourself less because you already have a lot of experience on what works and what doesn't. All right, Victor, we're going to transition into some of our listener questions. I, I know we've already covered a lot, so if we, we get into a repeat subject matter, we'll just kind of we'll move on to the next. Um, but the first question I have is from Brandon Bennett-Young from Big Dill, and uh, he asks, Pete Abramson mentioned that you write the best build reports in the game. What parts of Rotator have you worked on over time to make it as reliable as it was against Beta? Oh, so that's been... Um... It's been an evolution throughout the years. Battle hardening the motors, that's something that we do every year. Um, but uh, we, we learn these little tricks year after year and how to make the robot more reliable. Um, we we kind of get lucky that um, we get this, we got destroyed by Bite Force <laughs> in 2018. Uh, but that was honestly the best way to learn what the weakest parts of your robot is. Nobody wants to get destroyed, but um, in my mind, if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. And if you beat the best, that's the best way to learn. Or sorry, if you get beat by the best, that's the best way to learn because uh, I, I don't like I don't like having uh, or committing the same mistakes twice. I, I don't want to lose the same way twice. So, 2016 first match we got KO'd by a witch doctor. They knocked off a wheel. Tyrus and Sat was like, okay, never using double spinner against vertical spinners again. <laughs> get wheel guards, even if you, your your wheels are inset into the frame and they're. they're Kind of a little bit protected, you know, complete wheel guards all the way around. Um, it's taken us a few years to understand the the wheel guards and how to make them work right. And you can't really test these robots outside of the arena very much. Mm. So you really kind of depend on your first match to to see how your robot's going to do. And uh, this is one of those things where it's kind of like just like an optimization every year. I try not to build something new from scratch. Um, I try to just tweak little things here and there to make it better and better. And every time, uh, every year uh, at the end of the season, I already have a full list on my phone of everything that went wrong. Like this broke, this broke, this bent, this for some reason slipped too much. And uh, what the off season, which I say with off season with air quotes because <laughs> it's never the off season. Um, I'm constantly looking at my list and say, okay, how do I fix that without going overweight? How do I fix this without going overweight? And and, uh, and then also making the robot more serviceable, making sure that you can reach everything so you can fix things quickly because uh, the better you do in BattleBots, the less time you have to fix your robot. And a lot of times you lose because you didn't prepare something the way you should have in the pits. And then you, you've seen some of the matches where a lot of the new teams, they, they forget to, to do something and uh, or they... They don't anticipate that uh, they'll get caught up on, on the ground and, you know, silly things like that. And, and that's that's a shameful way to lose because it could have been avoided if you knew about it beforehand. Mm. Uh, Brandon followed with uh, a question. Um, what was the logic for switching out the second disc configuration for the rear forks? We also had a very similar question about the forks from Ty Little, who wanted to know if the fork, the fork configuration was possibly due uh, to the new uh, weapon weight limits? 
Um, so we, we do have the double disc configuration this year, but um, because of all the different uh, internal tweaks that we've done to the robot to make it more reliable, it's, it's eaten up more of the weight. <clears throat> so when we, when we add the second uh, blade module, we're, we're adding like a whole other piece of frame with motors and electronics and then, you know, the, the axle, the pulley and the blade itself. So it adds a lot of extra weight than just adding another blade. So by the time that's all mounted, uh, we only had about, I think less, a little close to 40 pounds for actual weapon weight. So when we do the double disc configuration, I think this year, the discs only really weighed up close to 20 pounds. And, uh, to get the diameter that we need to, to get a good, I guess, hit on it, a uh, good moment of inertia, there's a lot of big holes on those discs. So I, I was gonna say that for like a very, a special matchup where when I when, when they tell us like you're fighting a certain robot, I could say, oh, okay, I could use that without, with minimal risk of my robot getting knocked out for some silly reason. Uh, against Beta, I was worried that because they were always being, you know, uh, to be like the most powerful hammer robot i was worried that even though i had a double disc configuration that i could you know hit with the higher the low and spin around that they may actually strike their hammer through the blade through one of the big big holes because they're, they're it's it's mostly air on those discs and and actually hit the robot itself and potentially damage one of the weapon motors so i went with the we have this new 50 pound blade this year that's just solid steel and there's no holes or anything, so it's it's basically acting as our defense. You're going to have to hit that to get to our robot. And because I knew they were using the the plow, I went with the the wedgelets to try to get underneath them. And that's something that I really like about Rotator that I have that option to be able to do that and still maintain my the, you know the 250 pound weight limit. Mm -hmm. All right, I have a question here from Jesse Mullen who asks. Obviously, the best way to avoid controversial judges' decisions is to win via knockout. With the benefit of hindsight, is there a different strategy that you would have used against uh, Beta to try to score a knockout? Uh, that one's hard to say. Um, so uh, we, there was actually – I had texted my team because not all of them were able to make it to the, to the filming. So I had texted them, you know, I think I'm going to go with top blade because we have uh, this extra armor that conforms around the blade as well. We didn't have enough material to put a decent amount of armor, I guess we could say, on the top of the robot where the blade isn't. Um, so it would be, I guess, safer for us to run that way. And then it's also going to make their lives harder because they're going to have to fire the hammer into the weapon. And then the third good thing would be that if we're lucky, we can hit the hinge in the top, um, like how we did with Blacksmith. But then some team members are saying, well, maybe if you go with the bottom blade, like if you get to climb all the way up the top of their wedge, you're definitely going to hit something there. You're definitely going to like tear something apart. Like, so there, were, there was a kind of like a split between high blade or low blade between the team. And because we had the armor and I just saw more benefits to it, I went with a high blade. I don't know if I would, if it would happen again. I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of still worry if I went with a low blade. Their uh, beta is not very short. They're they're a pretty tall robot. It's, yeah, that's a lot of wedge that our blade would have to climb up to to hit something up top. I don't know if by then our robot would have recoiled away from them, or or we would have just gotten flipped over and ended up high blade anyway. So uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I, I'm I'm not sure if I would really change a strategy. 
I think I would just have to do some tweaks to the design to to make it more effective against a robo-like beta. But that's something that uh, I'll have to uh, work on for next year. All right, I have a question from Mario Cast, who asks, now that you have won against Tombstone last season and have uh, beaten various bots with various weapon configurations over the years, your record against vertical spinners like Witch Doctor, Bite Force, and Death Roll hasn't had the success that you desire. Without giving away too much information, what can you do to rotate or to ensure future wins over vertical spinners? Yeah, so that's a good question because uh, I've, I'm keenly aware that we're, we've been very weak historically against vertical spinners. And it's just something where I see the field now, I'm like, oh, I see vertical spinners left and right. It doesn't look good for us. And uh, actually, most of the changes were done for last year. Uh, we actually doubled up the weapon uh, motors for each disc, even if you we went with a double disc configuration, we would have a total of four weapon motors, uh, two for the top disc and two for the bottom disc too. So we essentially get 200% more power per blade there. And, and last year I had actually increased the weapon weight as well. So we used to have 30 pound uh, discs, aluminum discs with these cool cutouts. And then we had uh, hardened steel teeth bolted onto the ends. But uh, for the 2019 season, I, I came with a 40-pound fully hardened bar. Uh, the problem was that it was just too brittle and it kept breaking. So then this year, um, I didn't really change that much between uh, the frame or the internals. The, the big difference is that now I'm using, uh, instead, of, I used to use S7 tool steel, which is pretty common for, for combat robots because it's, it's really hard and it tends to cut really well without wearing as much, but I've been learning for this weight class, it's it's hard to keep it from breaking. So I, I finally went with AR500 this year, and that's what that big blade mm. uh, it's beta is made out of, because I hadn't seen any other robot with that material actually have the weapon fail in the way that ours failed like two or three times last year. So uh, it was kind of sad that we had all those upgrades for last year, but because the blade kept breaking, we couldn't really see the full potential of Rotator. We, we kind of got a glimpse of it in the bombshell fight where we had one nice big hit and we kind of launched bombshell across the arena. Um, but after that, it was just, it was always breaking left and right. Uh, so then this year, it's basically the, the double weapon motors. Um, we, uh, we have the bigger, even bigger this year, the 50 pound blade. And now out of, out of a material that will hopefully bend before it breaks. All right. Well, I'll wrap up my portion here with a, um, uh, a series of questions from Richard Sum, uh, who has uh, some questions uh, around your employer and sponsor, Stryker. Uh, Richard's first question is, has the company culture changed since you guys made your TV debut? And did it change even further with the more success you've had? I wouldn't say that the company culture changed, but it just uh, started raising some awareness. So now um, it, it's, it's really cool. After uh, an episode airs, I'll start getting emails from from employees from different divisions of Stryker that I've never met before because Stryker is a very big company. And and they'll they'll, you know, tell us say, oh, they saw me on TV and they thought it was so cool that I'm representing Stryker and uh, and it's it's really nice getting those messages because it's it's so cool how how this is reaching other people and it's kind of raising the awareness that hey we have a we have a Stryker team competing on a TV show. And it's it's great because I I, I do get a lot of uh, a lot of people willing to help, and uh, I have to give uh, a huge shout out to the the machinists at our work, 
uh, like Daryl, Doug, and Nestor. They're always helping us. They're, they're, they're machinists at our prototype shop, and they, whenever they don't have active jobs on the machines, they help us out by making some of the parts for Rotator. And then uh, I do have other uh, coworkers that are, you know, sitting near me, and they see that certain certain times of, uh, like in the evening when, when like most of the work has settled down, I'll go into the machine shop and I'll try to work on the robot on my own. And and if uh, other team members aren't available, I'll get people that aren't technically part of the team and they'll just come and help me also. And it's it's really great because I wish I could take as much people as I could on the trip because it's it's, it's such an awesome experience going for filming. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't take too, too many people to the event. It's, it's a two week filming process and it's hard to get away for so long and, uh, it's better to have more of a lean team, but, uh, it's just cool because it's raising awareness and now, and now we have more, more fans, even within striker, uh, wishing us luck. So there's actually a lot more hands on, on rotator, uh, behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have touched and helped rotator become what it is. Uh, we even have one of our, our our VP of engineering that paints the robot gold. He's a huge car fanatic, and he's building a hot rod in his garage, so he's got all the equipment to do that. <laughs> oh, so, get out of here! Is yeah. there any other uh, is there any other unique talent that um, wouldn't you wouldn't normally find on on a BattleBots team that you uh, that you get to uh, kind of pull from your your Rolodex? So um, I don't know if you've if you've seen in previous seasons we have these. Uh, uh, it's not really like uh, it's not a good name for it. we just call them like the pre-fight spinners. So as we're coming up on stage, we have our a couple of team members spinning these. Uh, they're called like POV LED spinners, uh, perception of vision. Whereas the this little LED bar is spinning, it's spelling out the rotator logo or the or the striker logo. And I actually have a teammate in the team. He's uh, uh, electrical and like software engineer and. He designed those with homemade parts. <laughs> so he, he got an LED strip from like Amazon and then he used like window trim material to make the bar and then he he just made it all by hand basically and it was so cool that I that we, we try to use it as much as we can for for our um, pre-fights as we're walking through the tunnel and going up into the arena. So it's just things like that, like trying to make cool flair for the show and and things that we can use to just, you know, get more fan engagement because one of the things we didn't have this year was the, the, the audience, obviously. Right. It's one of the best parts from previous seasons as we're walking through the tunnel or coming into the arena and you have all these fans uh, greeting you and you, from their perspective, they're watching a live show. So you want to, you want to make a show for them. You want to make that memorable. So, so we try to do as much as we can to uh, kind of capture their attention and, you know, make it, make it uh, worth it, you know? Yeah, and it, it, it's totally true because Rotator also goes toe to toe with, with the likes of uh, of Hypershock and and Witch Doctor for for how many pieces of flair your <laughs> you know your team is actually bringing uh, to the event. Uh, I think I clocked uh, Witch Doctor in at twenty three pieces of flair uh, <laughs> so far this season. But um, no, it, it's almost like uh, it's almost like a Vegas light show every time Rotator comes out. It's kind of fun. Oh, it's awesome! Yeah, that's, that's what we want. <laughs> So my my last question in in the vein of of working you know alongside coworkers fr from Striker, what what would you say that like actually putting a bot together with coworkers like what's something that is unique to that atmosphere that other teams might not be getting because you know these are the people that you're with all year. It's hard to say. Um, 
it's great because uh, everyone that, uh, that I work with, they want to be there and they're very excited to work on it and they're very knowledgeable. So they, they give me very good advice uh, on either how to design something or, or how to make it serviceable because uh, most of us are design engineers or, or used to be design engineers at Stryker. And, uh, and some other team members are, are members that really haven't had a lot of hands-on experience but, but want to get more hands-on experience. So this is a perfect way for them to, to get that. Uh, there's nothing like learning while you're in the pits. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's always really, really good to have. And uh, we just get a lot of uh, good ideas from different, different directions. And we're, pretty, we're a pretty diverse team. And so we get a lot of backgrounds coming in with different perspectives. And, and I value that a lot. And that's also big in Striker. And so, uh, um, yeah, it just, it just adds more to your arsenal. Um, in terms of not just the equipment, but in terms of knowledge, and and it's even one of those things that even even if you're a good engineer, it doesn't mean you're going to do well in BattleBots because there's so much that can go wrong, and it's not like you can predict what the forces are going into those robots in in the arena, and uh, so it, there's a lot of luck that goes into it, and just over uh, preparedness that you need to to do well. Uh, both uh, both Chris and I work at IBM, and even though we're not engineers ourselves, um, I like to daydream about <laughs> what it would be like to tap some of the engineers that we work with and, and make a team. Um, so maybe maybe I will use your story to inspire me to actually uh, <laughs> reach out to them. Yeah, and, and the cool thing about BattleBots is that the community is really, really well knit together. Um, we see each other every year, and and you know we're all it's kind of like going to i don't know like maybe like a comic con or something we're all nerds and we all enjoy the same thing and i guess engineers by by nature we're all we all want to show how much we can help and how much we know so you're in the pits and you have a problem with your robot and you have somebody for help you're going to be there in a second trying to help you and try to try to make the robot work and and everyone understands that you don't want to win against a robot that that isn't working because of some silly thing in the pits you want to work you want to win against a good robot so if if you have a chance to help your opponent to get them to 100 percent before a fight a lot of people most people in the pits would would take that to opportunity to help you out and so even if they're not part of your team you can definitely reach out to others and they'll gladly help you and and give you some pointers yeah honestly i think that's one of the things that makes uh, the community so special and and just the sport so special and and great to watch um, and it's every time I hear that it just it makes me happy because um, I, I do think that that's something uh, like fairly unique to to uh, combat robotics so I, I opened up the um, your interview on Instagram for people to leave some questions on and we got a variation of this um, these two questions like several times over so I'm just gonna lump them in together uh, who is your favorite bot outside of rotator obviously and uh, what has been uh, your, your favorite uh, match that you've fought in uh, that's so hard my favorite robot uh... I only have to choose one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's uh, it's nearly an impossible task. <laughs> I gotta say, which doctor and Hypershock have the best? Well, which doctor has the best theme? I would say Hypershock has like the coolest looking. It looks just like a big RC car. Everybody, I, I just want to grab it and like almost like just like, hug it, like those big wheels and all that. Um, 
huge. It's just the coolest out of the box design. I remember seeing it the first time, like that's never gonna work. Those are plastic wheels, and then I saw those wheels just bouncing around in the first batch, and I was just thinking, oh my god, that's genius. <laughs> There's just so many different aspects to it. Um, I love um, anytime um, Chomp is another one. Every time, e even even Chomp from previous years, from an engineering perspective, I would look at that robot like. And, and I would just go up to Zoe's pit to just stare at the inside of her robot. I'm like, wow, it looks like the insides of a, of a clock, just like all these intricate gears and all these cool design parts. Um, especially this year, it's like just a crazy version of it. There's just so much I can go on for almost every robot. Uh, just the craftsmanship of any of the Wayachi robots, They're, those guys are like professional manufacturers. It's just so cool. Every robot's got its, its thing. Um, I don't know if I can just call out one so hard. <laughs> and what's what was the, the favorite uh, battle that you, you've uh, competed uh, in? Favorite battle? Uh, I guess the biggest one, well, let's say, okay, so I guess the biggest ones that people would, you know, mention would be the Ice Wave and the Tombstone fights. But I think one of the fights that I'm proudest of is our Scorpios fight. And that was a fight where we went with the original like double blade configuration and that was back when uh, when i used to drive both weapons and drive so i, I had uh, I, I used tank drive so i have my you know my left stick is the left wheel right stick is right wheel and then i had left index finger was high blade right index finger is low blade and that was probably the most mentally fatiguing fight i had because i was just always constantly like okay high blade off low blade on off on left right back forward blah, blah, blah. and it was just like by the end of that fight i was just <laughs> i couldn't think straight and after that fight i decided i gotta split driving and have somebody manage the weapons for me especially when it's double blade because i just I, uh, it was just so hard to do that but we still came out on top so i think that was probably one of my favorite fights um just because we did get the the carnage it was a good driving battle and <laughs> i somehow didn't just like my head didn't explode during that match. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, real quick, can you say the name of, of that last one again? I think it cut out. Um, so oh, I just wanna... oh, say it one more time. I was talking. Rotator versus Scorpius. Scorpius. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll put uh, that in when I edit. Um, fantastic. Uh, all right. So we have a question here from Tristan Reyes who asks, is there anybody that you're scared of going up against this season? Uh, listener Sumi Shik asks the inverse of that question. Which bots would you like to face but haven't yet? It's, it's funny because that's, yeah, it's almost like the inverse of what um, every year there's a, every team captain has an interview with Chris and Kenny. And they always say, like, oh, who do you want to fight? Blah, blah, blah. And in previous years when I didn't have, I didn't really know what rotator was capable of. It was like early, in the early stages. I didn't know if it was going to be reliable. I was like, oh, like, I would give him like the typical, like, oh, you know, we'll fight whoever, you know, it doesn't really matter. We're ready for anyone. And my mind is like, give me the robot that's got like a, a tube frame uh, with like Lexan armor, anything that will just shatter when I, <laughs> you know, something. <laughs> but, but this year, they actually asked me this question. And I'm finally more comfortable and a lot more knowledgeable with the design. And I'm thinking, you know what? Like, we'll take we'll take on anyone. Um, I don't know if I'd be scared of any robot at this point. It's just something that 
if we do get this trade, I'll be like, oh, crap, I guess I didn't account for that. But I, I think we're finally, I finally got to the point where I have a lot more confidence in design where I really feel like we can take anyone on um, as long as I don't mess up my strategy. It's almost like I have too many options now in my, in my like toolkit to, to counter other robots. And I'm just worried that I might pick the wrong one and just, you know, lose that way. It's good to have options, though. And plus, you've already taken down some of the, the biggest giants in the sport. So uh, I'm excited to see what, what the rest of the season holds for you. Um, so Bots FC, makers of the very shiny bot Shatter, asks, Be honest, who is the shiniest bot in town? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm, there's, this, there's this one robot that's got, like, it looks like polygons. It's kind of like this hammer thing and... <laughs> they're pretty shiny. Um, I may have to give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sporkanog Captain Lilith Specht asks, did you ever open that can of chips someone sent to your pit? <laughs> I knew it was her. Um, we did, and I ended up giving it uh, to Pete Abramson. It was his birthday during filming, and I... I gave him that. I told him I got you know I got you some snacks, and uh, I don't think he honestly looked at it twice when he took it. <laughs> so, so, I it so I imagine that this was uh, more than just a, a bag of chips, or oh, it was it was it looked like a Pringles can, and when you opened it up, it was like all these snakes flew out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, finally, we have a series of deeply philosophical questions from BattleBots superfan, honorary Sparkanock team member, and unofficial behind the bots writer, Mary Catherine Carr, who wants to know um, Is putting on the gold jacket kind of like putting on a superhero cape in that it allows you to do a hint of anonymity in the real world and maintain a persona in the battle box? I guess to a certain degree, yeah. Um... Um, it's interesting because we get the robot ready. They're, they're always telling you to, they're, they're rushing you all these pit runners. You know, you got to line up, you got to get the robot ready. And you could have gotten your robot ready and your, and your robot's waiting in line like eight hours for a match. And so then you're, you're basically just trying to relax at that point or, or just hope you didn't do something wrong on the robot. So you have to like pull it back and fix it. But the very last thing that I wait to do is put on the costume before I go up on and, and wheel the robot into the arena. And that, that process of putting on the jacket and the shoes and the glasses and all that, it's almost like it's getting me in the mindset of, okay, we're going to go fight now. Like, they're your friend, but in the arena, you can't be nice to them. You got to, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a battle. And uh, that's kind of me getting into the zone when I'm putting on my costume. In terms of the anonymity, I actually, it's funny, I, I thought that may actually be the case, but I think it was, was it last year, the, the season before that? We went out to have dinner at a restaurant very close to, to the filming event, and some of the fans actually, I think they were at filming, they recognized us getting like these tacos. <laughs> They're like, we got the rotator! Because I guess we, they saw team shirts, and they know you're Victor. And I was like, uh, yes, do I know you? <laughs> One of those things where you're not expecting to run into fans there and they 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 know everything about you and you're like, oh, who are you? <laughs> but it was great meeting fans, so uh, I don't know if it really helps anymore. So Chris <laughs> Victor Soda, Victor Soda, they never say that just like Victor. <laughs> so it's just like 
don't think there's any any hiding. <laughs> uh, so, who exactly is the mob boss of the Florida Bot Mafia? Uh, you know, I could tell you, but then you may you may wake up to have a bot part in your bed there. You know, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a very fair answer. <laughs> um, so, Hypershock, Witch, uh, Witch Doctor, and Rotator have really mastered their theme and aesthetic. Is that something that you learned from BattleBots IQ, or is it just something in the water in Florida that makes y'all so good at it? <laughs> yeah, it's something about the Miami teams, but um, I gotta say, I think it really started with Witch Doctor because they came they came out with their uh, with their Voodoo Witch Doctor theme, and you know they 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 kind of nailed it right from the beginning. You know, this is something that a lot of a lot of kids and young people watch, and it's. A lot of it is to inspire the next generation of engineers and builders. Um, even if you don't become an engineer, you know, it's just appreciating um, engineering and, you know, everything around you that can't be done with without people like that. So, uh, and then also recognizing, you know, my first year I was there with like just a t-shirt and jeans like most people do. And, and we realized, hey, you know, this is kind of, kind of just blend in with everyone else. Like we should, you know, should stand out. And, and I think we kind of learned that, you want to you wanna make it a show. It is a show. It's a competition, but it's also a show. So you want to make it entertaining. You want to be remembered. You want to be easily identifiable and also, you know, capture some kids' imagination. Uh, I think we're just trying to do that, and hopefully we're, we're doing something right. I would, I would definitely say so. Um, all right, so this is uh, Mary's question, but I think she really asks on behalf of, of all of us. Can you tell us... Who is Technical T-Rex? I think I have an idea, but it's one of these Florida bot rules that I don't think I can say. Oh, no. Uh, it's the smartest T-Rex I've ever seen. <laughs> they, they know what they're talking about. The rules of the mafia are so strict. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the neatest medical device that you've worked on? Ah, that was an easy one. Um, so... I talked about Mako Surgical, uh, which is where I first started right out, right out of school, and then we got bought out by Stryker. Um, our company actually, especially the division that I work in, in in South Florida, we work on a robot that helps surgeons uh, perform their orthopedic surgery for uh, partial knees, total knees, and and hip procedures. So it's it's kind of a robot that um, you know the patient has a lot of arthritis pain in their knee because they're you know the uh, the cartilage in your knee is wearing out, so you're getting a lot of like bone on bone rubbing. That's pretty painful. It makes a hard walk. Uh, the bone a lot of times gets deformed as well. So uh, um, basically, the technology is we we scan the patient's knee, and we basically create like a like a CAD model of of your knee, and that gets loaded into the system where you can pre-plan where this procedure is going to cut because the the procedure is to remove all the deformed bad bone and replace it with an implant. And the cool thing about our implants is that they they basically match the contour of your anatomy of your bone, so that when you're when when you have this implant placed in your leg, it feels just just as natural as your your original knee before it was operated on. And so then this robot, what it does is all that data gets loaded onto it. The surgeon grabs the end of the arm. It's got basically like a medical grade Dremel at the end of it. Or, or a saw, depending on which procedure it's, it's working on. And 
And the robot already knows what you do want to cut and what you don't want to cut. And it creates this 3D uh, volume <clears throat> of what you're supposed to cut. And while the surgeon is guiding the robot and cutting the bone, if they try to go outside of that, or essentially cut outside of that volume, the robot prevents them from, from moving that far. So it's almost like this cool, cool device that prevents you from coloring outside of the lines. And it helps the surgeon become a better, better, uh, have better outcomes because uh, a lot of it, uh, a lot of the, the, the pain that comes from, from, uh, from surgery is from cutting, you know, when they, when they cut the, the skin open to, to get the implant in there and do all, everything they need to do, they have to cut it pretty big so that the surgeon can see what's going on on there. But in this procedure, because everything's pre-scanned ahead of time, there's this screen that shows you a visual of what's going on. And all, now they don't need to make the incision as big as usual. They can make it a lot smaller or as small as possible just so that the cutting instruments fit in there. And they can cut away while looking at the monitor. And, and so you preserve a lot of muscle and, and soft tissue. And, and then with this robot, it gives you a, a, a level of accuracy that it's very hard to do when you're cutting with these jigs or you're trying to cut by hand. It's, it's, it's almost like a, like a CNC machine, but you have to guide it because it, it, the robot doesn't do the operation on its own. The, the surgeon is actually the one moving it, but it just doesn't let you cut incorrectly. So when you put the implant in there, it's very high degree of accuracy. It matches your original bone anatomy, and, and then it's a lot less soft tissue that gets damaged. So patients can actually, um, we've had videos and we've had a lot of reports of patients that walk away from the hospital the next day or even the same day after their procedure with a lot less pain than they would have gone if it would have been a manual procedure. Wow, that is really fascinating. And I, I, I honestly didn't know that um, it was, uh, that the technology was so advanced to have people be able to walk out that day, the next day. I mean, that's, that's serious, seriously, like, uh, life-changing stuff that you're working on. That's really cool. Are there elements of, um, your experience with combat robotics that, like, can help inform your work or, or, or vice versa? Do, do the two have any type of interplay together? It's kind of hard to say because the, the, the robot for work is just, like, a very precise, uh, machine, um, we're trying to make it, I guess, similarities is that you're always trying to make it as lightweight as possible because um, your robot is driven by motors. If you want the robot to react quickly, it has to be lighter. Um, so you want to use high strength but lightweight materials. Um, so having experience with some of the materials they used in BattleBots helps with that. Um, um, and I think it's just a lot of just like the engineering um, I guess I call that like engineering intuition. So I remember when I first started, I was uh, I was designing this like pulley system for the robot, for the work robot, not not robot rotator. <laughs> and I was I was designing in the actual belts and all that stuff. And uh, we don't use belts; we use cables. And actually cutting out all the details like I would have done on on my BattleBot. And then I started doing all this finite element analysis on it. And I think it was something that at the time, because I was just brand new to the company, people didn't really expect me to do that. And they saw and they're like, whoa, like you went way beyond what we expect. And I was like, oh, like this is what I would have done with my battle lot because I didn't want them to break. <laughs> and uh, I think it just helps you, uh, I don't know, you, you kind of learn, you feed off of uh, both. 
The final question here for Mary is a big one and an important one. Um, you have one of the most racially diverse teams. What do you think can be done to bring that kind of diversity to the rest of the production? Oh yeah, she noticed. Yeah, we have we we like, just like in Strike, we have a a lot of different people from different backgrounds, like I mentioned. Um, I think it's just it's easy for us because in the office. Um, we are very diverse. So then I just, I just went out to the engineers I thought would be uh, the best at what they do. So I've got design engineers, I got electrical engineers and things that, uh, that, that I can think of, they can help me think of really easily because they're, they're a lot better at it than I am. And uh, to help other, what was the question for other teams or other, or for the or just how, how uh, do you have any ideas or, or how do you think that um, the community uh, could become more diverse in itself? How, how, how can we make um, combat robotics in general more diverse? Oh, oh the community in general? Oh, that, uh, well, I think right now, I think they just finished wrapping up uh, like Robot Ruckus in Orlando. I think that was an ant weight competition. Uh, it's just one of those things where if, if you're interested in, in engineering, um, let, let have your kids try it out um, as a kid. You know, you want to have them try out a lot of different things to see what they enjoy and what they're good at. And uh, if they like engineering and they like robots and this cool stuff, definitely get them into it. Um, it's it's probably the best way to get hooked because once you have your first fight and win or lose, you probably want to keep going. So uh, um, keep, uh, keep, keep your eyes open for all these events. Um, tell your friends about it. Uh, tell your family about it. See who's interested and get get a get a few friends together and see uh, you can pick some builders' brains to help you out with some new ideas and see if you can come up with something to compete in one of these events. I think that's probably the best way. I love it, uh, Victor. Thank you so so much for talking with us and uh, sharing so much with us. We we really appreciate your time and we can't wait to see what you and Rotator are up to in the rest of the season. So we're looking forward to seeing you again in the battle box soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. It's great. Love talking about it. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to Russia, where the organizers of a robotics forum for teenagers but a humanoid robot named Boris on stage that danced to a song and later posed for photos with the kids. The Russian state media called Boris a high-tech, modern invention. The only problem, Boris was actually a man in a robot suit. <laughs> People online quickly found the exact robot suit the man was wearing, a plastic suit with LEDs that retails for $3,700. Uh, so... This is a classic Russian disinformation campaign, I guess. Uh, what do you guys think about Boris? I think it's also kind of ridiculous that Boris uh, came to the USA and voted like 300,000 times in our election. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are these, are the, is this the Russian bot that I've been uh, hearing so much about? <laughs> He created is, 15 is, Facebook groups and started 17 events where opposing groups all showed up at the same place. Boris hacked SolarWinds all by himself. 
<laughs> you know, I heard the, pi- the price of Bitcoin dropped because of Boris. <laughs> Oh, he, he can he can mine one an hour. <laughs> yeah, this is a very Russian story, isn't it? Uh, I kind of love it. <laughs> I think the only the only way that this would be more Russian is uh, if Boris was actually like a uh, a brown bear inside of a robot suit. Oh, Let's not go giving him any ideas, Luke. <laughs> oh gosh. Together we will escape from 2020. Goodbye, 2020. Well, that's ominous. <laughs> <laughs> so saith the monolith. Well, that's about it for us today. We're taking the rest of the year off, so we'll see you all in the new year. Goodbye, 2020. Goodbye, 2020. <laughs> see ya. Bye. Happy New Year, folks. Bye-bye.